good morning, everyone. My name's Andrew Conrad, so if I haven't met you yet, I would enjoy meeting you. I'm the senior pastor here at Spring Run Presbyterian. Before we get into the sermon today, uh, maybe just a, a couple of announcements. One is I did not know we had a new popcorn machine, but that's newsworthy, right? For some reason. <laughs> I think it's because the old one broke at the fall festival. Um, and then uh, there's lots of great things happening here at church that we're excited about. There's some changes because in the last year, we've helped send out two church plants, one to Chester, Virginia, that's New Creation Presbyterian, and one to Amelia County, River Run Presbyterian, that just started in the last month or so. And so we're focused on, on growing again where we are. So we are glad that you are with us, and if you are newer or visiting or new-ish, thanks for being here. Uh, if you have questions, I'd certainly be happy to talk to you. And if you're watching on the live stream, we encourage you to come in person because it's a very different experience in person. Like, you know, you want to go to a restaurant, and you get online, and you start checking restaurant. You look at the menu, you're like, that looks tasty, but I don't know, because I haven't actually eaten it. And you go to the restaurant in person to discover the taste and see that it's good. And so same thing if you're watching on live stream. When you come in person, you're tasting and seeing in a different way that God is good. Um, Jeremy, our worship director, was on the keys today, but we didn't have some people because we're still recruiting more people for the worship team, always in process of doing that. And if you're interested in that, talk to Jeremy or come on a Wednesday night to one of the rehearsals. Um, so probably enough said about that, kind of some housekeeping things there. Um, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Blueprints for the Good Life, um, and it's a series on the Ten Commandments. And we've called it this Blueprints for the Good Life because usually when we hear commandments that are posed as negative statements of what you should not do, we just kind of shrink and walk away like, oh, I don't want to hear any more of that. But they're actually also proposing what is good for life. And so we are trying to consider them in light of that. Um, I'm really tempted to ask you again, can you name the Ten Commandments up through seven of them, because that's where we are. But I won't do that to you today, but maybe think in your head, okay, how many could I get of the first seven? Because right, that's part of what we want you to know is what are these commandments? But today we come to the eighth, so I won't quiz you on those seven. Today is the eighth commandment, um, and uh, you can follow along with me as we read from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and then Ephesians chapter 4. So let's put Deuteronomy 5 on the screen. It's a really long verse. This commandment says, you shall not steal. We'll explain more of that in a moment, but notice how Paul takes that commandment and when he's talking to the people in the great city of Ephesus, what does he say in Ephesians chapter 4? Put that on the screen if you would. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. This is the word of the Lord. It seems like common sense to have laws such as don't steal, don't take other people's stuff, right? And it's actually not just in the Bible, it's in many ancient law codes around the world, recognizing the right to private property and to protect one's property. In fact, if we were thinking about the Ten Commandments, all of them in light of stealing, we could even say in some way they all refer to stealing. Like the first few were about who God is, only one God, don't misuse his name, so don't steal by having other gods, don't steal the, his good name, don't steal worship away from him, don't steal authority from your parents or those in authority, 
Don't steal rest away when God has designed us for rest, right? Don't steal the life of another in murdering. Don't steal one's spouse in adultery. But today, don't steal as in just the most basic way we probably think of it in possessions or property. Don't steal. This is important, and it's important for law codes around the world, because how else is a society going to flourish if it doesn't respect what other people have and say, don't steal, right? If stealing's fair game, like just rob, wound, beat, take whatever you want, right? What's that society like? A society that's high crime, it's full of poverty and theft, right? It's, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be for human flourishing. So I shouldn't have to convince you a lot that stealing is a bad idea, okay? It's pretty simple. It says don't steal. You're probably generally like, yeah, let's not steal. Good plan. So sermon's done, right? Like, what do we do? Um, well, not today. Probably not any day with me, right? Um, we know this commandment is true. We know it has to be taught and guarded against from a young age because the truth is we steal. Right now, I can almost guarantee you, there are two kids playing in the nursery. One kid has a toy. It's a nice toy. It's a shiny toy. They got off of the shelf and like, oh, look at this toy. It's mine. And another kid comes over. Give me that toy. I want that toy. No, mine. Private property stealing. See? Kids. This is what happens in life, right? And as parents, we have to teach them, no, you need to learn to share with others. We have to teach them to be generous. That that toy is the church's toy and you can share it with others. But even when they're playing at home and it's their own toy and it really is their toy that their parents gave them, they still have to learn to share. But stealing and taking toys from other kids is wrong. It's not right. So the really tough part about this verse that we're looking at today is that it isn't only true for two-year-olds, is it? Right? I mean, if we're going to be honest, don't we have to really consider in our own lives where this encroaches upon our very souls? When you want more than you have and you don't have the means to get it, you might be tempted to steal it. It's easier to take from others, to mooch off people, rather than to work diligently to provide for yourself. Right? This is why there's a command that says, don't do this. And it's why the title of the sermon today, you could put that slide up, is simply, do not steal, live responsibly and generously. Now, you were going to be lucky because it was only going to be a two-point sermon with those two, but in preparing yesterday, we're finishing yesterday, there's a third point I need to talk to you about. So we're going to have three points. The first point is this, though. Do not steal, but live responsibly. I want us to go back to Ephesians 4.28 and look at that again. Notice the first part of what Paul says here. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Stop stealing, right? Okay, so that's his point. We, don't, we shouldn't steal. We steal in all kinds of ways. I mean, we could list a long list of ways, but I'm not going to list all of them. I'll list a few. Theft of reputation. Theft of reputation. Stealing someone else's good name by lying, slandering, or gossiping about them. Right? That might be in person. It might be behind their back. It might be all over social media. But that's stealing somebody's reputation. 
by doing that. Now, it actually gets to next week's command about lying and honesty, so we'll leave it there for now. J.F. Hacker comments on this, and he says, gossip is a breach of the ninth commandment, but the effect is to breach the eighth, to steal somebody's good name. But then there's theft of time. One reason time is so value, valuable to us is because, why? Because it's scarce. It's limited. Once that time is gone, you don't get that time back, right? And when something's scarce, it's valuable. And time is extremely valuable. So what do you do with your time? At work. Are you lazy and you're just like, I'm just coasting through the day to clock out and doing as little as possible, skating by, hanging out in the break room or whatever it is? Or do you work diligently for your employer? Is your laziness stealing time from your employer? Or wasting away on social media, scrolling. I can get on reels and it can be like 90 minutes later. I'm like, what have I been doing for 90 minutes? Like, seriously, we ought to ask our questions, ourselves questions about that. Like, is that really the best use of my time? Now, it's fun to see them, but like, if that becomes a regular pattern and, you, and you're burning like six hours a week scrolling through reels, is that really a good use of time? Now, again, I'm going to leave that there. I could talk about that later, but is that a waste of time? Is it a theft of time in which God would have us to use it some other way? But let's talk about theft of money, right? Theft of money or possessions or property. The Bible talks about this a lot. I'll give you a few examples of it in Deuteronomy, where the law code is being prescribed. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14, it says um, this, Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessor in the inheritance you received in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. What is it saying? Don't move the boundary stone to increase your property and decrease theirs. I need a little more property so I can grow some more crops. I'm just going to move that boundary marker. That would be stealing property, right? Or, again, in um, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 13 to 15, talking about as you're doing business. Do not have two different weights in your bag, one heavy and one light. Do not have two different measurings in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, what is this saying? Some of you may be like, what are you talking about weights in your bag? Like, this requires translation for thousands of years of history, right? If you were doing business... And picture yourself at a farmer's market and you're going up and you're like, I would like some of those, that fresh broccoli, and you put it on a scale to figure out how much it is. Well, they would have weights, in the, right? And you might have a, a lighter weight and a heavier weight to change that scale, how it goes, so that you could charge more for it. So if you're charging more when you wouldn't otherwise do that, then you're being unfair in the way that you're running your business practices. Um, and, and what God is saying is don't rig your scales. Businesses aren't meant to trick people, but to be honest with pricing. But customers must also pay for it rather than steal it. There's two occasions I remember in which I walked out of a store without paying for something. Neither were intentional. Um, the first one I remember, I don't know, I was just, we'll say it's a retail store. Um, it was a retail store. Um, I don't know if I should name retail names or not. Uh, it was well past uh, the limitations, I think, statute of limitations. Um, and in this case, it wouldn't matter anyways. So I, I leave the store, I see my receipt, and I'm like, hold on a second. I got this item in here that's like 30 bucks, and they didn't charge me for it. What should I do with that? So I decide, I'm like, that's not right. It's, 
I'm supposed to pay for it. So I decided I'm going back in the store and show it to him. I pay for the thing. And they're like, oh, wow, nobody ever does that. Shocking. Um, and so I paid for it. Good. Another time, and it wasn't very much later, maybe within a year. I don't remember exactly. But it was, it was close enough that I had that other event close in my memory. I go out, and there's something else in there, and I don't remember what it was, and it probably wasn't a lot of money. I don't think it was more than 30 bucks. And I'm in a hurry, and I'm on my way, and I'm already in my car gone, and I'm like, they didn't charge me for that. And I'm like, it's their fault. They got to do their job better, which is probably true, but doesn't make it not stealing. The agreement when you go into a store is still like, this is their stuff. There's going to be a transaction in which you're going to pay for their stuff, and they're going to then provide you that stuff that you've, you've paid for. Right? Um, and maybe as a kid there were other instances or something. I don't know. We're not going there. Um, but, right, we can all steal in those ways. I, right? I, I would bet that stores are losing a lot of money on the self-checkout system. Well, they're probably saving some by not paying labor, but on the other hand, there's probably lots of stuff going in bags that doesn't cross the scanner. That might be a temptation for you. Kids. Little kids, look up here. Right here. Stop coloring for a second. Have you ever taken money from your mom's purse or dad's dresser? It's a dollar bill, a $5 bill, any of that? And you can talk to your parents later about that. Probably have. That's stealing. That's stealing. What about at school? Have you ever taken another kid's lunch? Just to be mean and throw it away so they didn't have it? Or else to take it and eat it because you liked their Twix bar or whatever was in there? Their Swiss cake rolls. Man, I used to love those things for lunch. I don't even think they make those anymore. Those were so good. Um, if you take something that belongs to somebody else, including their lunch, it's stealing. What about this? Have you ever cheated on a quiz or a test? Oh, man, I can't. I don't remember that answer. You're like, see that answer? See, now today you can do it all digitally. You just text it back and forth. Like, so easy to cheat, right? That's stealing. Adults, what about this? Have you ever taken office supplies home? Like, I need a few extra pens. I'm missing some hit the supply closet at work, or make copies at work that are for personal use. Maybe some employers don't care and they'll like let you do that, but if they do care, then you're not supposed to do that, and that would technically be stealing. What about not reporting a side hustle of income that meets the threshold for your taxes and you're supposed to report it, but it was cash and you don't report it? But the government gets too much already. Doesn't matter, it's still stealing. What about, have you ever defaulted on debt? Right, that's stealing. All right, if you really want me to step on some toes, we can talk about credit cards and how credit cards so often can be ways that we default on debt and ways that we steal. Now, credit cards in itself is not bad. There's an agreement, a transaction, you get a loan and you pay back the loan. The hard problem that we know in America is that many people rack it up and then are not able to pay it back. And when that happens, it's stealing, which is why you don't go to jail for it, but there are penalties, right? Your credit score's hit, you do have to pay fines on it, there's different things, right, to all settle that out because the agreement was broken. I mean, I've been there and having credit card debt, it's no fun. 
Um, but if you don't pay it back, if you're like, I'm just bailing on it, then it's stealing. What if you're caught stealing? What do you do? Or what if you're not caught? You're like, I'm too good for that. They won't catch me. But what if you're convicted? And like, oh, okay, preacher, you're, you're telling me about some stealing that I'm feeling like maybe I should feel bad about. What do you do? Well, first, repent, right? This is true of any sin. What do you do? You admit it. You own it to God and say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I've blown it. Um, and please forgive me. And after you get right with God, then you also, the Bible tells us, you need to go and get right with the person that you've offended. In this case, if you've stolen from somebody, you need to go make it right with them. You need to go make restitution. Return what is stolen, usually with interest and maybe other damages. Um, do you guys remember the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible? Anybody know that story? It was in my Bible reading recap this week, so I heard it. It was great. Reminded me of a Sunday school song that I'm not going to sing for you about a wee little man that was up in a tree. Um, but that was a long time ago. But Zacchaeus was a smaller man, and he got up in a tree to see Jesus. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get down because I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Romans, the imperial occupying force of Israel at the time. So any Jew that's paying taxes to Zacchaeus, another Jew to pay to Rome, Zacchaeus is like, on the most hated list. And Jesus says he's going to his house. And so Zacchaeus gets down, and what does he do when he goes to his house? Zacchaeus says, I will pay back, I will give more than half my possessions away to the poor, and I will pay back all those who I have stolen from with unjust weights and measures and taxation to collect more so that he could pocket it. I will pay back four times what I owe. Four times! Why does he say four times? Because in Exodus 22, that's what the law of God says, that if you steal, you should pay back fourfold. That's a big deterrent to stealing. Now, let me be clear. That's the judicial law applied to Israel, not to us today. In other words, the prescriptive punishment of paying a fourfold uh, restitution for stealing is not the biblical command that is imposed upon us today. But the principle stands. The principle is if you steal, you pay back, and you pay back whatever was, plus whatever other damages are done or time lost for wages or money that could have been earned. That's the principle. And so in our courts and in our judicial system, that's what they're trying to do is figure out what's fair to pay back when somebody's been wrong, right? And that's a good question to ask. That's what we need to do. So stealing is wrong. We settled that. We need to live responsibly instead of steal. But remember the flip side of a negative command is the positive action that is to be done too. And this is why I've added this point in the sermon. The second point is do not steal but live profitably. Do not steal but live profitably. We're going to talk about this. And I want you to hear me well in this, but before you hear me, I want you to look with me and we're going to read Ephesians 4.28 again. Notice the second part of this. Must not steal, must stop stealing and no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. What is Paul saying? That the command to not steal is also the implication that you have a responsibility to have a good work ethic and provide and make money for you to take care of your own needs. That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. 
Notice that the Ten Commandments, they cover all kinds of areas. They cover worship, they cover the sanctity of human life, they cover rest, they cover marriage, they cover family, they cover sexuality, they cover truth, they cover private property and working profitably in the Eighth Commandment. If the Eighth Commandment weren't there, then we could say, what does God care about business? What does God care about property or possessions? But the Eighth Commandment is saying God does care about those things. Making money is good for you. Let me say that again. Making money is good, and it's good for you. It is. It really is. It's not a bad thing. Making money is the use of human ingenuity to produce something that is beneficial for society. And in doing so, you are providing for yourself so that you have food, shelter, clothing, right? The necessary things you need in life. And so it's good. And if you excel at it, you may become wealthy through it. And that, too, can be good. Now, there's all kinds of... The Tenth Commandment is hanging out there, remember. <laughs> Coveting and greed. But making money is good. If you are lazy and your plan is to live off of your parents as long as you can, living in the basement of their house... You're breaking this command. If you are able to work, don't have some medical need where you have to be live dependently on somebody else, and you are not trying to provide for yourself, then you're saying, I just want to keep living off of my parents, which is to say I want to keep living off of what they have and all of their resources instead of becoming a person who is productive and living off my own means. Making money is good for you. God designed it to be that way. Work is good for you. It will help you. It will challenge you. It will grow you. And you'll become responsible in it. But making money is also good for others. When you are involved in business of making and distributing, selling products or services, it's meant to be beneficial to other people. That's the whole point, why they want it and why they're going to buy it. Right? In other words, business is to say, I want to do something that is going to be helpful to other people. And there's going to be this transaction in it in which it's fair. You also may be helping employ other people who can then make money. And assuming your work product and services are not evil, right, that's a whole different situation, but assuming it's not evil, then you are doing good works to help other people. The Bible tells us to do good works. Those good works aren't only spiritual good works. Those are good works as being good stewards of all that God has given us in creation, which includes our craftsmanship, our business, our ingenuity, our thinking, our productivity. All of that is good for God and what he's saying. This is what would, what would be like to have the kingdom flourish on earth, is if people did this well and didn't steal from one another and everybody were taken care of. That's a good picture of what life on earth should look like. So you who are working in business, which is most of you here, right? Be encouraged. Your work matters, and God cares about your work. To do that well is to do it good before the eyes of God. It's important. It matters to him. And then parents, you've got to teach your kids a good work ethic. So again, kids, if you're, if you're young, if you're, I don't know, if you're hearing this at all, or if you're middle school or high school, whatever age you are, it's important for your parents to teach you what it means to work responsibly 
and to work profitably. And if you're really little, that might be like, you know what, you can't leave your toys laying all over the place. You need to clean those up, put them back where they go, and take care of them because that's what's responsible. If they're middle school and high school, it might look a little different, right? It might be, hey, you need to clean your room. You have chores. You're going to take out the trash or help with the dishes. You're going to do your homework because it's part of what your job is right now is to go through school. Those things that your parents ask of you are teaching you to be, live responsibly and to live profitably, building skills in you so that you will do that as you grow up to adulthood and be on your own. There's a, a slide I have here about being creator. We are created to be creators. Now, we are not the creator, okay? You can go ahead and show that slide if you want. We're not the creator. We're not God. But God made humanity. He created us to be creators of human flourishing, of shalom, the Hebrew word is there, of, of peace and this human flourishing. Flourishing does not come from stealing, but from working responsibly and profitably, we might add, and living generously. That's what we're designed to do as human beings. This is why it's blueprints for a good life. It's blueprints for a good life. It really is. And it leads to the third point. That is, do not steal, but live generously. Again, do not steal, but live generously. Let's go back to Ephesians 4 and notice how Paul uses this command and what he did in that verse, right? He says, okay, stop stealing. Then he says, work hard. And now he says, why? so that you may have something to share with those in need. Because there's always going to be those in need, Jesus tell, told us. We're always going to have to care for some who are less fortunate, care for the poor, the disabled, those who aren't able to care for themselves. But a good society will do that well. And the church should do that well. When you don't give, when you're not generous, you are in a way saying that this command about don't steal and be profitable is only for my good and not for the good of others. And when God gives a command, he's giving it to the society saying, no, it's always for the good of others as well. When you don't give tithes to God, he is saying that you are stealing. You're like, nah, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. If you want a place in the Bible to look, here it is, the prophet Malachi. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? The prophet is calling out the people because they have quit focusing on worship, quit going, and they're not providing for the, the system of worship and, and so forth. And so God's saying, you're robbing me now. When you're not giving to God's church, your heart is not fully in that. Your heart isn't fully in it. They say, yeah, it is. Mm, I don't think it is, and here's why. With, with respect, here's why. Because Jesus says so. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Notice this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasure in, in heaven where moths and... Sorry, for where... Yeah, 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 exactly. Do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He ends that saying, this is where your heart will be. Saying, Jesus is saying, your heart is going to follow your money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's how powerful your treasure is. It's how powerful your ability and your resources are. Your heart is going to chase it. If you want to know what your heart treasures, 
follow the money trail. Show me the money. Follow the money trail. It'll show you. It'll show you lots of wonderful, good, and responsible and profitable things, like providing shelter and food and housing, which we know cost a fortune. Like, that's a big part of it. That's all good. That's right. To prepare and to save and to, to watch over and make sure you have what you need to live and, and to provide for your family, that's all good. That's part of what we are supposed to do. But what will the money trail lead to in generosity? Will you see anywhere where there's generosity in it? You see, because generosity is both a matter of the heart and a matter of habit. Generos Let me say that again. Generosity is both a matter of the heart and a matter of habit. Jesus says your habit of using money will lead your heart to that. Right? Your habit of using money is going to lead your heart to be invested there. Let me just give you a simple example. If you're one of those people that have to have a pumpkin spice latte, and you go every day to get it, your money is leading you there, and you're like, this is so good. I am so happy that I get to do this every day and do this. My heart is really in this, because it tastes so good. Right? And so it's showing you where your heart is running to. Jesus is saying it leads there. But the other side of that is you use your money that way because you want to. It's something you desire. And, and so there's, these two, there's this twofold aspect of this. One is your heart needs to be thankful for what God has given you in order to become generous. And the other side of that is your habits have to change so that you learn the new rhythm of living in generosity because it's not easy to do. It involves both your heart and your habits to do that you need to understand that this commandment is so important because it is one of the ways that God sanctifies you through your job and your possessions, which are huge elements of your life. It's such a huge part of your life. God will use that in ways to grow you, to challenge you, to cause you to say, are you going to trust me in this when things aren't going well or maybe when you lose your job? He's going to use that to sanctify you and teach you to live responsibly to live profitably, to live generously, and to live dependently on him. Everything the Lord does is shaping you, including your job, including your possessions. You may be thinking, yeah, um, I'm a little worried. You know, if I were to become generous, like maybe you're saying be generous, I'm not sure I could afford that. I'm not sure I could afford to give 10% of my income away. It's a fair question. It's a question I've asked repeatedly of myself. But if, if you lost your job and the only job you got was 10% less than what you were making, would you find a way to survive? I'm guessing you would. It might be by taking another job or it might be by reducing some of your expenses, um, selling off things that you had. I mean, you could, you'd pro it'd be, it would be difficult but you'd probably figure out a way to do it. And what God is saying is, trust me with your money. It's so central to your life and what you do, to your identity, to your power, to your strength, to your control. Trust me with it. Be generous. In fact, Jesus says not to worry. In Matthew 6, 33, says, don't worry, seek first God's kingdom, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry. 
we all worry and we need to learn to trust God. Think about it this way. Worry is this. Maybe put worry in simple terms. Worry is believing that God might get it wrong. I'm worried about this or that in the future. Why are you worried about that? Because I'm worried God might get that wrong. But greed, stealing, and lack of generosity is believing God did get it wrong and you had to take measures into your own hands. I'm going to leave you with a couple of takeaway questions today. Um, So here they are. Am I stealing in ways I didn't realize? This is convicting, right? No one likes asking this, but we took simple, like, thou shalt not steal. Four words, and we're like, what? How did that possibly touch all these areas? Am I convicted in any ways? Two, if I have stolen, how will I make it right? Three, how can I be thankful for my job and the work God has gifted me for, right? That's an important part of your life, and God's using that for the good of you and others. And fourth, in what way will I become more generous and less greedy? And as you're looking at those and pondering those and maybe writing them down or taking notes on it, let me, let me just end with this. How did Jesus keep this command? Because Jesus kept all of them perfectly for us because we can't perfectly keep all these commands. But he did it in our place. His whole life is an act of generosity, from leaving heaven to come to earth being born in a stable. He didn't steal. He lived to help others, the poor and the sick especially. He healed He brought faith, restored faith, suffered, was tortured, had his good name stolen from him, died on a cross for the good of others. What if Jesus said, ah, I've given enough. I can't do it anymore. I'm tired of being generous. That spirit of generosity, of living responsibly for the good of self and others, is the whole life ethic of Jesus. That's why this command says this is a blueprint for the good life for you too. Believe it. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to believe this command, that it indeed is a blueprint for the good life, and that in so doing, you will help us to be people who live responsibly, who live profitably and value work, and who live generously. Lord, that is not an easy thing to do. We need your help in it desperately. So we ask that you give and give abundantly in your name. Amen.